0: One day in 1914, 10-year-old Li Hoi Chun stood barefoot on the dirt road on the outskirts of Foshan City in southern China. He was one of hundreds of peasant boys hired by the local merchants to hawk their wares. At the time, Li Hoi Chun was working at a ramshackle restaurant, and his job was to entice patrons to come in and eat. But unlike a lot of other boys' age, Li Hoi Chun didn't merely shout out the day's specials in Cantonese. He sang them. The boy had a sweet falsetto voice, and it just so happened that on that particular day he managed to catch the ear of a famous Cantonese opera singer. The man heard the little boy singing, and was so taken with him that he invited him to become his apprentice. Hoi Chun's parents were overjoyed at this news, both because of the financial opportunity this presented, as well as the fact that this meant there would be one less mouth to feed. Hoi Chun spent years learning his craft on the stages of Foshan, In 1928, his opera troupe moved 60 miles away to Hong Kong in search of bigger and wealthier audiences. Even at that point, acting wasn't paying the bills alone, and Hoi Chun had to support himself by working part-time at a restaurant. In Hong Kong, Hoi Chun's opera troupe met with greater success. Over time, they began performing to bigger crowds at larger venues. They were also invited to perform at a number of private functions for the wealthy elite. This included a performance at the palatial estate called Idlewild. The home of Sir Robert Hotung Bozeman, the richest man in Hong Kong. Grace Ho was a member of the Bozeman Hotung clan. Think of the family like Hong Kong's version of the Kennedys or the Rockefellers. Grace's family was a mix of Chinese and German Catholics. Her grandfather, Moses Hartog Bozeman, was Dutch Jewish, and he was born in Rotterdam in 1839. Moses made his fortune by starting the Dutch East Asia Company in Hong Kong as a teenager. The dark part of the story is that what his company specialized in was the coolie trade, shipping Chinese peasant laborers to Dutch Guiana to work the sugar plantations after African slavery was abolished. Moses fathered six children with his Chinese concubine Che. After falling into financial trouble, Moses Hartog Bozeman left Shite and his children behind and moved to California where he changed his name to Henri Maurice Bozeman. In order to feed her children, Shi Te became the fourth concubine of a wealthy Chinese cattle merchant named Kwok Chung. He had little interest in raising Shi Te's six Eurasian children, so it didn't take much convincing for him to pay to send the children away to boarding school. This was the prestigious Central School, later known as Queen's College. The oldest son of Shi Te's six children was Robert Hotung, and he grew up to make his fortune in shipping, real estate, insurance, and the opium trade. He hired his younger brother ho Kam tong to work with him making him the second richest man in hong kong ho Kam tong had many concubines and mistresses throughout his life one of whom was a british woman who gave birth to his 30th child a daughter named grace ho grace grew up in the life of luxury she was cultured well educated and she had servants at her beck and call She was there the day Hoi Chun's opera troupe performed at her uncle's estate, and by all accounts, it was love at first sight. Grace had never seen a Chinese opera troupe like this perform. Although she loved the performances, she was mostly enamored with the handsome young lead performer Hoi Chun. As part of the wealthiest clan in Hong Kong, Grace Ho was expected to marry another wealthy member of society, not a peasant actor. But after seeing Hoi Chun for the first time, she knew in her heart what she really wanted. Although Grace and Hai Chun's romance was strictly forbidden, they refused to let anything stop them. The young couple fell madly in love and decided to elope. This caused a major rupture within Grace's family, and they ended up cutting her off financially. But Grace never had any regrets. As Li Hai Chun's wife, it became her duty to produce offspring, in particular male heirs. There is an old Chinese saying that says, the more sons, the more happiness. But the couple's firstborn son died in infancy. This was considered a bad omen, and possibly even the sign of a curse. While Grace was eight months pregnant, the couple made the unusual move of adopting an infant girl they named Phoebe. It was suspected that this baby girl may have actually been Li Hoi Chun's daughter that he fathered with another woman. Although, one other possible explanation is that this was a way to stave off a potential curse. Another Chinese superstition states that the second child should be a girl. If Grace was pregnant with a boy, this would only bring more bad luck to the family. From there, the family continued to grow. A month after Phoebe's adoption, Grace gave birth to a daughter they named Agnes. In 1939, she gave birth to a son named Peter. 1939 was a time of tremendous turmoil for China. Although Hong Kong was still under British rule at that point, two years earlier the Japanese had launched a full-scale invasion of China and they were quickly advancing throughout the country, killing millions of people. It was widely believed among the British government that they would not survive a full Japanese invasion. Although officially the Brits kept up a stiff upper lip, the best they could hope for was to delay the Japanese forces as best they could. In the fall of 1939, Li Hoi Chun's opera group was invited to take a year-long tour of America. This was part of an attempt to raise funds for the war effort. The problem was Li Hoi Chun was only allowed to bring one person with him, So the couple decided to go to America, leaving their children in the care of Hoi Chun's mother. Normally, the 1882 Chinese Exclusion Act prevented the immigration of low-skilled Chinese laborers. But Hoi Chun and Grace received a special exemption on a cultural visa. They arrived in San Francisco's Chinatown, the 24-square block which had become a major tourist destination. Originally, Hoi Chun's opera troupe was booked at the Mandarin Theater and the couple lived at the Mandarin's boarding house. Grace became pregnant when she was on American soil. She went into labor during a time when Hoi Chun's troupe was performing in New York. She gave birth at the Chinese hospital to a healthy baby boy on the morning of November 27, 1940. Hoi Chun was overjoyed when he heard the news. He passed out cigarettes to the entire cast. This was the equivalent of an American father handing out cigars. Many members of the troupe asked Hoi Chun what were the boy's astrological signs. The Chinese zodiac assigns one of 12 animals to the year of a person's birth. Of the 12 animals, the dragon is considered the most powerful. As a result, many Chinese mothers attempted to time their births with the year, month, day, and hour of the dragon. Hoi Chun proudly told his troop that his son was born in the year of the dragon, the month of the pig, the day of the dog, and the hour of the dragon. Having two dragon signs was considered particularly fortunate. Many of the cast members told him, that his son was destined for greatness. Back in San Francisco, it was up to Grace to come up with an American name for the boy since he was now officially a natural-born citizen of the United States. When Hoi Chan applied for his visa, the Immigration Service changed the spelling of his family name from L-I to L-E-E. The boy's Chinese name was Lee Jun Fan, but the midwife who delivered the boy suggested an American name for him. So that's how the boy, born under the sign of the dragon, was named Bruce Lee. Both in life and in death, Bruce Lee has achieved a legendary status. He is widely regarded as the most popular and influential movie martial artist of all time, as well as a true pop-cultural icon of the 20th century. Bruce Lee bridged the gap between East and West, and with his film career, he helped change the way Chinese people were presented in American films, which made it all the more shocking to people across the globe when the superstar died suddenly at age 32. There is a great deal of mystery surrounding the death of Bruce Lee. While officially Bruce Lee died of a tragic medical issue, some people have suggested he was murdered for crossing the Chinese Triads. Others have said Bruce and his family fell victim to a curse. I'm Nate Hale, currently ascending to a higher plane of existence inside a Tibetan monastery, and this is The Conspirators. On the afternoon of July 20th, 1973, Bruce Lee arrived at the Hong Kong apartment of actress Betty Ting Pei, who was long rumored to be Bruce's mistress. Bruce was excited about a number of business prospects and wanted to tell Betty all about them. He was building an empire around himself, one that included not only movies, but books, merchandise, even an animated cartoon from Hanna-Barbera. At 32 years old, Bruce had become the most famous martial arts movie star in the world. That Friday was a scorching hot day in Hong Kong with the temperature hovering around 90 degrees Fahrenheit and the humidity at 84%. It was the hottest day of the month. Later that evening, they were supposed to pick up former James Bond actor George Lazenby for dinner to discuss a role in the movie Bruce was currently filming, Game of Death. But by around 7.30, Bruce wasn't feeling well and began to complain of a headache. Betty gave Bruce one of her equagesic pills, a common prescription pain medication. Then he went to lie down in Betty's bedroom. When it got close to 9 p.m., Betty received a phone call from Bruce's business partner, Raymond Chow, who was with Lazenby wondering where the two of them were. Betty told him Bruce was asleep and that he should carry on dinner without them. When Chow finished dinner with Lazenby at 9.30, he called Betty again and told her that she should wake Bruce up. Betty quietly opened the bedroom door and whispered Bruce's name, but Bruce didn't answer. She said his name again a little louder, but still received no response. Then, as her panic rose, she tried shaking Bruce awake, but Bruce Lee never woke up again. Betty ran to the phone and called Raymond Chow. He rushed over to the apartment as quickly as he could. Betty was sobbing as she let him in she pointed at the bedroom door with a shaking finger. Betty could barely get the words out that Bruce wasn't moving. She phoned a doctor, but by then it was too late. Bruce Lee was dead. Even before his shocking death, Bruce Lee's life and career was shrouded in the sort of mystique few actors ever achieve. In just a few years, his career had skyrocketed to achieve a level of superstardom that few ever attain. And yet following his tragic demise at age 32, many rumors began to swirl that the movie star was cursed. Right from birth. This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman and Ed O'Neill, FX's Clipped, streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. Bruce's parents, Lee Hoi Chun and Grace, were very superstitious. Ever since they lost their firstborn son when he was three months old, they came to believe that there was a curse upon the male members of the family. These superstitions were so strong that they often referred to young Bruce as Little Phoenix, a girl's name. In fact, Bruce's first film role came when he was only three months old. A friend of Hoi Chun's, Esther Ang, was directing a movie called Golden Gate Girl, and she asked if she could borrow the infant Bruce Lee to film a few scenes in which she needed a newborn baby girl. Bruce's parents returned to Hong Kong with Bruce just before the Japanese attacked the city in December 1941. His family suffered a number of hardships over the next few years, but Hoi Chun still managed to maintain his stage career which Bruce grew up around. Bruce had his first starring role in a 1950 film titled The Kid, which is based on a popular Hong Kong comic book character. By the time Bruce was 18, he had appeared in 20 films. Bruce attended Catholic school, but after getting bullied into a number of fights, his parents decided that Bruce should be trained in the martial arts to defend himself. In 1953, Bruce was accepted into the martial arts school run by the legendary grandmaster Yip Man learning the secrets of Wing Chun Kung Fu. It was difficult getting Bruce accepted into the school since they had a long-standing rule against not teaching foreigners. As part of Bruce's bloodline was European, he was not considered fully Chinese. Bruce's friend, William Chung, begged the school to make an exception. But many of the students at Yip Man's school refused to train with Bruce Lee when they learned he came from mixed ancestry. Despite this, Bruce excelled at his training, becoming one of only a small handful of students who were allowed to train directly with Yip Man. In 1958, Bruce Lee won the school's boxing tournament, knocking out the previous champion. All the while, Bruce kept getting into street fights. This led to an incident in 1958 in which students from a rival martial arts school challenged the members of Yip Man's school. Bruce got into a fight with a rival student on a rooftop. When the other boy landed an unfair punch bruce let loose on the other boy so badly that he knocked his tooth out this prompted the boy's parents to inform the police bruce's mother grace had to go pick him up at the police station it was after this incident that grace suggested to bruce it was time for him to take advantage of his american citizenship and return to the united states so he could stay out of trouble he went to stay with an aunt who lived in san francisco From there he moved to seattle to attend high school that's where he met linda lee cadwell the woman he would go on to marry and have two children with by april 1959 bruce had begun to teach martial arts in what he called zhen fan kung fu this literally translates to bruce lee's kung fu lee studied drama philosophy and psychology in college but he dropped out in 1964 and moved to oakland california He moved in with another well-known martial artist named James Yim Lee. Together, the two of them opened a martial arts studio. It was around this time that Bruce Lee began performing in karate championships and winning. Bruce was able to wow the crowds with feats that included his two-finger push-ups and his legendary one-inch punch. This was where Bruce was able to deliver a devastatingly powerful blow to the chest by holding his fist only one inch away from his opponent. But not everyone was happy about Bruce Lee's brash nature, as well as his willingness to teach his Chinese martial arts secrets to foreigners. In 1964, Bruce Lee was challenged to a fight in Chinatown by a rival student named Wong Jack Man. This has often been described as Bruce Lee's most difficult fight, with differing accounts about how it all played out. According to Bruce, the Chinese community made this all about whether he should be allowed to continue teaching non-Chinese people or not. If Bruce lost the fight, he would agree to stop teaching non-Chinese forever. Wong claimed the fight went on for an unusually long time, about 25 to 30 minutes, with no clear victory in the end. But according to Bruce's wife Linda Lee Cadwell, the fight only lasted for three minutes with a decisive victory for Bruce. It was after a martial arts exhibition in 1964 that he caught the eye of television producer William Dozier, who encouraged Bruce to audition for a role. This was for a pilot of a TV show called Number One Son, about Lee Chan, the son of fictional detective Charlie Chan. The show didn't get picked up, but Dozier still thought Bruce Lee had what it took to make it in Hollywood. From 1966 to 1967, Lee played the role of the sidekick Kato in the TV series The Green Hornet. The show only ran for one season, but Bruce did reprise his role in three crossover episodes of the Batman TV series. Green Hornet introduced American audiences to a style of Asian martial arts they had never seen before. The show's director wanted Bruce to fight in a more typical American style using fists and punches, but Bruce insisted that he fight in the style that he was trained in. At first, Bruce moved so fast that the camera couldn't keep up with him, so he had to slow things down. After the Green Hornet was cancelled, Bruce continued to teach martial arts. Only by now, his new Hollywood connections had brought a number of famous actors and stuntmen to his doorstep looking to train with him. Some of these students including James Coburn, Chuck Norris, Sharon Tate, and Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. But Bruce's controversial fight with Wong Jack Man had left him questioning his traditional Wing Chun techniques. He began to take the view that his traditional martial arts techniques were too rigid and formal to be of any practical use in a street fight. From there, Bruce began to develop a new strategy based around practicality, flexibility, and efficiency. He began to describe this new way of fighting as a style with no style. He called it Jeet Kune Do, or The Way of the Fist. From there, Bruce made a few guest appearances in some films and TV series, but was never able to make it big himself. In 1971, Bruce pitched a TV series titled The Warrior, in which he would star, that would blend together martial arts with elements of a traditional western. According to Bruce's wife Linda, Bruce's concept was stolen and retooled into the TV show Kung Fu, starring David Carradine. It's widely believed the reason Bruce was not cast was because the network producers believed a Chinese actor would not be accepted on TV. Bruce was furious at this latest snub. He was unhappy with the level of racism in the U.S. that he saw keeping him from stardom. It wasn't long after that when he was invited to return to Hong Kong to play his first starring role in the film The Big Boss. Bruce jumped at the chance. He was shocked when he got to Hong Kong and realized he was already a big star there. It turned out reruns of The Green Hornet had been playing to major success in Hong Kong and was unofficially referred to as The Kato Show. Bruce Lee was thought of as the real star of the show. The Big Boss became a huge box office success across Asia, which only catapulted Bruce's stardom even further. After his first two-year contract ended, Bruce negotiated a new deal with the film's production company, Golden Harvest. He later formed his own company, Concord Production Inc., with his friend and business partner, Raymond Chow. Bruce followed Game of Death with Fist of Fury in 1972. This shattered the box office records set by the previous film. For his third film, The Way of the Dragon, Bruce was given complete control of the production as the writer, director, star, and choreographer. Each of Bruce's first three films became major global box office hits, grossing more than $100 million worldwide each time. From August to October 1972, Bruce began to work on his fourth film, Game of Death. He filmed several scenes, including one legendary fight scene with his former student, American basketball star Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. But production stopped when Warner Brothers offered Lee the opportunity to star in what would become his biggest film ever, Enter the Dragon. Enter the Dragon went on to become one of the highest-grossing films of the year, with an estimated gross of about $400 million worldwide. According to inflation, this equates to about $2 billion in today's money. But Bruce Lee's sudden death in 1973 shocked the world. He planned on returning to finish filming Game of Death, but he never got the chance. Although five years later, Enter the Dragon director Robert Klaus did finish the film using two Bruce Lee look-alikes. It was released in 1978. Only 15 minutes of the film's footage actually contains Bruce Lee. In the year 2000, a documentary was released titled Bruce Lee, A Warrior's Journey, which contained much of the unreleased footage Bruce shot for Game of Death that never made it into the finished film. It seems only natural that after news broke about Bruce Lee's death that people would begin to speculate there was more going on than was publicly revealed. The official cause of death that was reported was death by misadventure. The medical report stated that Bruce Lee died of a cerebral edema, or swelling of the brain, caused by an allergic reaction to the headache medicine given to him by his rumored mistress, Betty Ting Pei. But a lot of people came to believe there's something more going on, and perhaps there was even a cover-up to hide the truth. Let's get one thing out of the way right away. It's impossible to prove or disprove the theory that Bruce Lee died of a Chinese curse, It's understandable why some people would want to ascribe a supernatural motive to the superstar's death. It's true that Bruce's parents believed that a curse followed the family. This was only pushed further when Bruce's son Brandon Lee was killed on the set of the movie The Crow in 1993. Brandon Lee died when a co-star fired a prop gun at him. Only a freak accident occurred when the gunpowder in the blank cartridge ignited, leading to a bullet fragment hitting Brandon in the midsection. Brandon Lee collapsed and died during surgery. Many people predicted that the crow would have been Brandon Lee's breakout role, propelling him to the level of fame his father saw. Only Brandon Lee's life and career were cut just as tragically short as his father's was. So does this mean the curse is real? In the biopic Dragon the Bruce Lee Story, Bruce is shown being constantly confronted throughout his life by visions of a demon that finally manages to defeat him. But because there's really no way to prove or disprove any sort of supernatural motivation behind Bruce Lee's death, we can only look at the physical evidence to determine if there was something else that was not publicly revealed at the time. One telling piece of evidence that the curse does not exist is the fact that if all the male members of Bruce Lee's family were cursed, that doesn't account for Bruce's two brothers who outlived him. One of Bruce's brothers lived age 69 while the other is still alive today. Some people have theorized that Bruce may have been killed by the Chinese Mafia known as the Triads. According to this theory, the Triads weren't happy about Bruce revealing ancient Chinese secrets of Kung Fu. So they murdered him to shut him up. The problem with this theory is that, like the curse theory, there just doesn't appear to be any evidence to support it. In Matthew Polly's biography, Bruce Lee, A Life, the author reveals that on the night of Bruce's death, his business partner, Raymond Chow, was scrambling to cover up the public relations disaster that might occur if it were revealed that the married superstar died naked in his mistress's bed. According to the book, after Chow rushed over to the apartment, he hurriedly dressed Lee's body with plans to take him home and say he died there. Raymond soon realized he would need a doctor to pronounce Bruce dead or else it would look especially bad for him. So he had Betty call her personal physician, Dr. Eugene Chu, for help. Dr. Chu immediately saw that Bruce was beyond saving, but he could help temper the controversy. So Dr. Chu called the paramedics and Bruce was taken to the nearest hospital. Doctors there went through the motions attempting to revive Bruce, but nothing worked. He was pronounced dead shortly before 11.30pm. Meanwhile, Raymond Chow continued attempting to hide any controversy that might damage Bruce's reputation. He got all the witnesses together and had them get their stories straight. This also meant that he was forced to reveal Bruce's infidelity to his wife, Linda, although Linda was brokenhearted over her husband's affair. She agreed that if the press got hold of the story, it could be devastating to Bruce's legacy. Reporters soon swarmed the hospital demanding answers. Bruce Lee appeared to be at the height of physical fitness, so how could someone as young and healthy as Bruce Lee appeared to be die so suddenly? Raymond released a statement claiming that Bruce collapsed and died in his own home with Linda by his side. This lie only held up for a few days. Soon, news broke that Bruce actually died in Betty Ting Pei's apartment, and it appeared the two of them had been having an affair. Almost immediately, Betty began receiving death threats and harassing phone calls. Betty sequestered herself away in her apartment, away from the press and public. Protesters carried signs outside her apartment building calling Betty a murderer. Police began finding strange packages outside her apartment building. They kept expecting to be bombs. But luckily, none of them were explosives. In order to try to calm the public, an official inquest into the death of Bruce Lee was called. This inquest concluded that Bruce had suffered an allergic reaction to the pain medication Betty gave him, causing his brain to swell. But this explanation left a lot of people unsatisfied. Many people still thought that either a curse or a conspiracy had killed Bruce Lee. And in fact, there was more behind the death of Bruce Lee than the public was aware of. Just not what they had suspected. Although there were no outward signs of what had killed him, a medical examination revealed that Bruce's brain had swelled significantly. It had grown from 1,400 to 1,575 grams, a 13% increase in size. In an interview in 2005, Raymond Child claimed that Bruce died due to an allergic reaction to a tranquilizer, macrobamate, which is a chemical found in some painkillers. Lee's official cause of death was reported as death by misadventure. But recent evidence has shown that this isn't what happened either there were actually some other physical causes that weren't publicly known until recently. According to Matthew Polly's biography, the official inquest was a sham. Polly said that the inquest was mostly an attempt by the British government, who was still in charge of Hong Kong at the time to quell public suspicions, by coming up with a simple answer as to what killed Bruce Lee. But it turns out there were other factors involved with Bruce's medical condition that weren't widely known. For one thing, this wasn't the first time Bruce Lee collapsed and part of that cause may have been the result of a risky surgery he underwent. Several months before Bruce's death, he had surgery to have the sweat glands removed from his armpits. Bruce didn't like how the sweat stains looked under his arms when he was fighting on camera, but this procedure is dangerous and can come with serious side effects including low blood pressure, nerve damage, and heat stroke. The human body needs to sweat in order to regulate temperatures. If it can't sweat, it can lead to seizures and even death. In 1973, Bruce pushed himself to his physical and mental limits working on Enter the Dragon. He spent hours toning his body and editing the fight scenes and choreography. But his rapid pace jumping from one film set to the next had taken a toll on him. During the filming of Enter the Dragon, Bruce was barely sleeping or eating. His body weight had dropped to 120 pounds. All the stress took a major toll on his body. On May 10, 1973, Bruce showed up at the Hong Kong studio to dub some lines of dialogue. It was a miserably hot and humid day. The audio engineers had to turn off the air conditioner so it wouldn't be picked up on the microphones. The room Bruce was recording in got hotter and hotter. He began to complain of a headache, and soon he grew dizzy. Bruce took a break and headed to the bathroom. According to Matthew Polly, Bruce used some cannabis, one of his few vices, in order to steady himself. Polly's book claims that although Bruce avoided alcohol and tobacco, he did occasionally smoke marijuana and eat hash. Although these drugs were illegal in Hong Kong, Bruce felt they were harmless. Soon, Bruce returned to the studio and continued recording his lines. But he was sweating profusely, and clearly something was wrong. He only got a few lines in before he collapsed to the ground and began convulsing. A couple of the studio crewmen picked Bruce up and carried him to Raymond Chow's car. Raymond drove Bruce to the nearest hospital. Bruce's wife Linda arrived terrified at the hospital. It was at this time that a neurosurgeon first diagnosed Bruce Lee with cerebral edema. Doctors were able to medicate Bruce and bring down the swelling. Within a couple hours, he was awake once again. At the time, the neurosurgeon who treated Bruce blamed his frequent hash consumption as the cause of the brain swelling. Bruce didn't agree with this diagnosis though, so he flew to the United States to get a second opinion. He was examined by a Los Angeles neurologist who gave Bruce a good bill of health and said that there was no clear cause for the seizure. Pretty soon, Bruce returned to work on Enter the Dragon, and he began to make plans to finish filming Game of Death afterwards. That's when he died inside the apartment of Betty Ting Pei. It was the hottest day of the year that day, and Bruce was reportedly sweating profusely before he went to lie down in Betty's bed. Although heatstroke checks a lot of the boxes as the true cause of Bruce Lee's death, a new study more than 50 years later has offered a different explanation for the actor's mysterious death. That he drank too much water. A recent study in the Clinical Kidney Journal offered the hypothesis that Bruce Lee died from a form of kidney dysfunction that occurs from an overconsumption of water. It is possible for a person to drink more water than the body is able to excrete, causing serious damage and even death. According to doctors from the Autonomous University in Madrid, Bruce Lee may have consumed too much water on the day of his death, which led to his body becoming unable to maintain water homeostasis. Patients who consume too much fluid without the body being able to excrete it can suffer hyponatremia, cerebral edema, and even death. All of which is what appears to have occurred in Bruce Lee's final hours. During his life, Bruce Lee famously said that a fighter needs to be like water. It's all the more ironic than to consider that excess water may have been what killed him. That Conspirators is written and produced by me, Nate Hale, an entirely fictional identity. Thanks so much for listening. I have some new Patreon supporters to thank. Thank you to Melissa and Rob for signing up and helping support the show. I couldn't do this without you. Patrons of the show get access to all sorts of nifty bonuses, including stickers, magnets, t-shirts, and our ever-growing library of bonus mini-episodes. They're just like the regular episodes, only fun-sized. Another great way you can help support the show is to subscribe, rate, and review us wherever you get your podcasts. I know all the podcasts ask this, but it's actually true that it helps us spread the good word and boost us in the podcast rankings. I also want to remind you of an exciting new development. I recently started up a new TikTok account where I've been having a lot of fun posting short-form videos of the same sort of content you get from the show. You can also find many of these same videos over on our Instagram feed as well. I'll put links to both my Patreon, and the new TikTok in the show notes. Elsewhere, you can find The Conspirators on Facebook and whatever the current state of Twitter is. I encourage you to follow us along there or even send us an old-fashioned email at theconspiratorspodcast@gmail.com. at gmail.com. You can also keep up on what we're doing on our website, theconspiratorspodcast.com. I've recently overhauled the look of that site as well. And I also have some other big surprises in the works as well. So stay tuned. Thanks again for listening and I hope you'll be back next time.